Hello everyone and welcome to this week's views from the 573 podcast. Hope y'all are doing well on this Thursday afternoon and we got a lot to get into. Coaches getting fired, whether it's college football or NBA, first playoff rankings for college football, wild NFL trade deadline, a combined no-hitter in the World Series. That's going to be our show today. We got a lot to cover, so let's get right on into it. Let's not waste any time, and let's head on over to baseball and talk about what's going on in the World Series. So with Game 3 being pushed back, uh, originally on Halloween night, that was on Tuesday night, and then of course we had Game 4 last night with the Phillies up 2-1 to one at that point. So the Astros are trying to recover, steal one at Philly after the Phillies stole one at Houston, and they returned the favor big time last night. Alongside with Christian Javier, who was a big-time part of that combined no-hitter, the Astros end up winning. I don't know why it seems like five is like the magic number in this series, but it is. The amount of times I've seen five to nothing or seen the team put up five runs in this series, I mean, I feel like it's I think it's happened every game. But the Astros end up winning five to nothing last night against the Phillies. The Phillies could not do anything at all with uh, the combined efforts of Christian Javier and that Astros bullpen. They no-hit the Phillies. The second time that's ever happened in the World Series. And so now the Astros tie the series up with Game 5 on the line. And that's going to be on the line tonight with Phillies hoping... They can get one before they go back to Houston. Whoever wins this one is going to have a real advantage going back to Houston to play game number six. And boy, oh boy, we looking at this pitching matchup. You got Verlander, you got Cindergaard. They're going against each other. And then I believe game number six would be, I think, on Saturday, since it's a travel day. Houston doesn't know who they are going to be pitching, but Philly would be throwing out Zach Wheeler for game number six. And then if it got to game seven, I got to believe that the Phillies and Astros, they're going to try to put their aces up on the mound one last time to try to close the series out. But that's only if it gets to Game 7. We still got a couple more games to decide if that's going to happen. But we do know we are at least going to get to a Game 6. That's what we know. So we'll have to find that out once Game 6 happens. And if it happens, then we're going to be in for a treat. Playoff Baseball, Game 7. There's nothing better in the playoffs NBA, MLB, hockey, there's nothing better than Game 7s. Game 7s are elite. They're in a tier of their own. So we might be headed down that road. But we're still tied 2-2 with the Astros getting the win last night. 5 to nothing. Kristen Javier, I mean, what a performance 
he put on last night. And that Astros bullpen, we talked about it when we previewed the World Series, that Javier was one of their aces, and that bullpen was really deep. He had a lot of good players in there. And that did they prove that last night? And holding the Phillies to no hits at all and just completely shutting down that Phillies offense. So props to the Astros for getting a no-hitter in the World Series. Again, second time I think that's happened. It might just be combined no-hitter. But either way, that's still going to go down in history. And we got Game 5 tonight. Verlander going to the mound for the Astros with Syndergaard going to the mound for the Phillies before this series switches back to Houston. So we're going to see who gets the advantage tonight and goes up 3-2 to two in the series. Is it going to be the Astros, which could be really big, heading up 3-2 going back home, or the Phillies heading to Houston up 3-2? So we shall see who wins Game 5 tonight. So moving on from baseball, let's talk a little NBA and let's talk about what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets, among other things, a lot of a lot of stuff, not good stuff, going on with Brooklyn. I feel like we've had a couple of these times where we had to talk about Brooklyn. It's just not been good, but uh, not off to a great start. On the court and off the court, I mean, especially for Kyrie, um, it's not what you want to see. And now we got a coaching decision to figure out with Brooklyn. With Steve Nash being let go after two plus seasons with the Nets. And if you remember, one of the things KD had mentioned that he wanted really early on in that whole saga in the summer was fire Marks or Nash or fire both of them. And, of course, Brooklyn wasn't going to do that. But Nash and Durant worked out their differences and really excited to play for him. And one of the interesting quotes that has come out since he was let go is he mentioned... Something about the guys aren't responding to me. I'm not getting what I need to out of them. And I think if you're feeling that as a coach in any sport, if that's happening where your players aren't hearing you, you're not getting a response out of them, that might be the time to say, hey, I'm going to step down. Let's get a new voice in here. Let's get somebody else in here and see if they'll do the trick. And so that's what Steve did. The firing was mutual. And so Nash is going to go on. Maybe he finds another coaching gig down the road. But Brooklyn, it seems as of right now, is looking for a head coach, but maybe not for long. With Jacques Vaughn taking the interim head coaching duties, seems like they had an eye on Ime Udoka, who, of course, is going through his own turmoil with what's been going on with him at Boston and looks like they may, may be heading that direction and Boston's not going to get anything for him. It sounds like Brooklyn's just going to go outright and hire him. And I don't know if it's, if it's necessarily the hire Brooklyn needs to make with everything going on surrounding 
that team right now on and off the court to add another thing like this, I don't know if it's necessarily the right move to make. But it sounds like they are probably going to make it. And we're going to have to see how that unfolds and uh, see what the press conference and PR stuff is going to be like with all that stuff. Uh, it's going to be a wild ride. And I think the ultimate winner in this, I mean, it's got to be Steve Nash, I think. You know, getting out of this mess in Brooklyn, it's kind of felt like this for a while now. And now he's out. Not a, Doesn't have to worry about what, you know, Kyrie is saying or KD wanting out or how many games has Ben Simmons sitting on the bench. He doesn't have to worry about that anymore. So he probably is the true winner of this thing right here. Even though he got fired and, he, and it was mutual, he's probably the real winner in here. Is that He doesn't have to coach this mess and uh, have to deal with it as a coach. So uh, congrats, Steve. You're the real winner in all this. So that is what's going on in Brooklyn, and that is what's going on in the NBA. A lot of interesting stuff going on in the NBA speaking of with the Bucks still undefeated right now 7-0 and with you got stuff going on with some teams you didn't expect like the Blazers are looking good the Cavs they're looking really good we talked me and Charles talked about them really like them and that group and uh, they got a huge win over Boston last night but uh some interesting storylines taking fold early on within uh, about a week or so of the season starting. So that's where we are with the NBA. And let's move on to college football and talk about what's going on there. And first off, I figured let's talk about the games in week number nine. And then we'll talk about the playoff rankings and then we'll dive into week number 10 and talk about the matchups there. So week number nine, a good week as far as picks are concerned, went eight and two. And there's a lot of really interesting games that unfolded this past weekend. So we're going to start with probably the big one, and that is Ohio State and Penn State. And, you know, Peter kind of thought things would play out kind of the way they did. And sure enough, it happened that way. But uh, let's talk about this game. Ohio State goes up 10 points in the first quarter. Um, and just really a game that went back and forth. Penn State scoring 14-3 to in the second quarter. So they're up by one. You get Ohio State going up 16-14. to And then you got Penn State going up. And you, you really think that changes the momentum. Well, Ohio State put up 28 points in that fourth quarter to win 44 to 31. And I think in these performances, you got to mention two players for Ohio State. And that is JT Tui Molau. Probably just butchered that, but that man was a one man wrecking machine on that Ohio State defensive line. Where I think he had two picks, he had a fumble recovery. He probably got a sack. He was unstoppable on that line 
for Ohio State, and this was probably his coming out party right here to declare to the college football world, hey, I, I'm here. Uh, I'm here, and I'm here to stay. And then on the other side, you had Marvin Harrison Jr., who has been unbelievable this year, you know, with no Jackson Smith and Jigba, who did not play in this game. He's been outstanding and has really taken on that number one wide receiver role. He didn't have a touchdown on Saturday, but he did have 10 catches and 185 yards. And he's only getting better and better and better. Those two guys are sophomores. <laughs> They're just sophomores. So they have another year or so left of college football to play. And it's looking really bright for both of them. For Penn State, Clifford, yes, he threw for over 350 yards. Yes, he had three touchdowns. He had three picks to go along with that. And scenarios that he didn't need to throw an interception. Uh, Parker Washington for Penn State, just to give him a shout-out, 11 catches, 179 yards, and a touchdown in this game. He played out of his mind, too. When Ohio State went on the road and beat Penn State, even though they were down, and it might not be as impressive as a win over Penn State as Michigan's was, where Michigan seemed like they dominated them from start to finish. Ohio State got a couple big-time performances and, yeah, Stroud played fine. He threw for over 350 and had a touchdown. But he's not the talking point for Ohio State. It's those two guys. They made the difference. And part of the big-time reasons why Ohio State got the win that they did, especially Tui Molowau and uh, his performance and really getting Ohio State in really advantageous situations there and turning the ball over. So Ohio State gets a win there over Penn State, and they stay undefeated. Moving on to Notre Dame at Syracuse. One of the games we got wrong, thought Syracuse was going to bounce back after losing to Clemson last week or the week before. And Notre Dame shocked me, shocked a lot of people in going on the road and knocking off a Syracuse team that had lost a close one against Clemson. And Notre Dame goes into the, the the dome there at Syracuse and dominates them. Wins 41 to 24. And that's a 17-point defeat. That's one of the big reasons why is Notre Dame put up 17 points in that fourth quarter that really won them the game right there. They just played really well. Looked like a completely different team than what we saw early on in the season. They're running the ball better. And that's one of the things they did here at Syracuse. And they're now 5-3 and three after, uh, again, a really tumultuous start. They're now sitting at 5-3, and three, one win away from a bowl, from clinching a bowl in, uh, in bowl season. So they are doing really well. They're performing at the right time as we're about midway through the season. So they get the win at Syracuse. Big time win for that program. TCU at West Virginia. 
we kind of wondered if West Virginia was going to give TCU a fun game. And uh, that's what they did. West Virginia gave TCU a really close game. They gave them a good game, gave them their best shot. And uh, TCU getting that, getting 13 points in, in the fourth really helped them. And they made some big-time plays against West Virginia. But West Virginia had some big-time plays, too. C.J. Donaldson, the running back, got two touchdowns on the ground for him. Uh, Miller, the TCU running back, he had a really explosive carry that helped them, helped the Horn Frogs out. And Max Dugan, what else can you say about him? The guy's been performing incredible. 341 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. But TCU gets it. A huge road win at country roads here uh they're traveling down those country roads with a win so they win by 10 over west virginia and uh stay undefeated at eight and zero. next up we got arkansas at auburn and you know we talked about this one and i think we're going to talk about something that, that happened with auburn here uh, you know, since we're bringing them up and we're not picking them, so it's probably the best time to talk about them. But uh, Arkansas and Auburn. Uh, Arkansas, they go on the road. I think it sounded like Sam Pittman wanted to run the ball a little bit more than they did. But Ar Arkansas recovered here. They get a good road win and went 41-27 to win by 14 points. With uh, Auburn trying to make this game close in the fourth quarter. And they did that. But Arkansas still wins with Cam, with Jefferson, with him doing well, him back in the lineup. Rocket Sanders having a really good day running on the ground, 171 yards. Uh, Robbie Ashford didn't have a bad day for Auburn. 24-33, 285 and a touchdown. And 19 carries for 87 yards. So, not a bad day for him. But, you know, KJ Jefferson, Sanders, that they just had themselves too good of a day against this Auburn defense and end up winning 41-27. Get an SEC road win. Putting Auburn at 3-5 and five and leaving them without a coach. As Brian Harzen is now out at Auburn. We were kind of wondering what his what the hot seat was like for him at the start of the season and that he could definitely be somebody that you could see get fired later on if Auburn didn't do well. And that is what happened with Auburn letting him go after only about a year and a half into the job. And so now Auburn is looking for a new head coach. They just hired a new AD from Mississippi State. So they're bringing him in and they're going to conduct this coaching search, I assume, when the season is done. But I assume there's already a list for uh, for who they have as an idea of who they want to go after. But Harzen, it, it was always kind of a weird fit with, uh, with him at Auburn, spending all this time coaching up at Boise around that area, his alma mater. So it was always a weird fit. So now Auburn, they're looking for a new head coach. And 
not only do they have to do that, but they got these insane numbers of buyouts to pay out for Malzahn, for their former AD, and now for Harzen, which I think, if I remember reading this right, is about the number that uh, <laughs> that the Big 12 is paying to get get their stuff on ESPN again with their new TV deal. So uh, that tells you the state of Auburn football and where they're at right now. But initially, when you think of this job, three candidates came to my mind. And that, you know, they would clearly, I think, have a huge effect on Auburn and where they're going and be really good big-time hires. Number one, just off the top of my head, Hugh Freeze at Liberty. Yes, I know he just signed a new deal at Liberty. A pretty lucrative deal for somebody coaching at Liberty. But I think looking for a way to get back into the SEC. There's been a lot of other openings. Go to Auburn. Coach in the SEC West. He's done that before. And coach against Saban every year in the Iron Bowl. Which leads me to number two. Lane Kiffin. At Ole Miss. This year, I mean, Kiffin has made some remarks about how the fans have, there's not been as much fan support. He's made some comments about that. And so you're kind of wondering, could he be on the outs? Well, Auburn could be a chance of, you know, depending on whether you think it's a lateral move or not, it could be a chance for him to get a new change of scenery, get some good fan support at Auburn. Because I think you know you're going to get it. Because that program, even though they have been down here in the last couple seasons, they've had really good years of success. So, you bring him in there. And again, the whole going against Saban factor, you know, I know he does that already with Ole Miss, but just to add another level to it, the Iron Bowl. Kiffin versus Saban in the Iron Bowl every year would be perfect. And then the last one, Deion Sanders. We see what he's doing at Jackson State. We saw game day was there. We see the impact he's had on there. Being able to have game day be able to go there. You've seen what he's done with that program. And watching game day when he was on and they were talking to him, and they specifically asked him about all the buzz that he's getting for all these Power 5 jobs, and you you think about it, and it's like, would Dion leave with all the success he's having with Jackson State? But Dion does say, like, I will entertain those those thoughts of, of getting Power Five offers. Like, I'm not just going to ignore them. So that's definitely on his mind now. Whether he, it, it's a Power Five offer he wants. That's the question. And if it's Auburn. But that could be a really fun fit for Auburn. You can guarantee there would be a lot of juice that he would bring to that program. On the field. Off the field. As far as recruiting is concerned. That you probably have some guys in the 2023 class that would consider flipping to Auburn. Just because he's there. And that could be big time for Auburn that is desperately in need of some hype around them. As there's not a whole lot. 
But the question again is with Dion, would he want the Auburn job? I think a lot of people are assuming that he is waiting for that opportunity when the Florida State job opens up. When Florida State says, Norvell, we're letting you go. Get out of here. And there's an opening. And wondering, well, we know who's candidate number one there. It's prime time. So it depends on if that Florida State job does get opened up. But if it doesn't, and he's like, you know what? I like like this Auburn job. I like the opportunity it brings. Let's just go there. Sure. But you could also say this. What if Kiffin does go to Auburn? Could Dion jump to Ole Miss and do that, stay in the state of Mississippi, but make that jump to the Power Five? That could be a possibility. So those are the three candidates that came to my mind when this Auburn job opened up. As it is a, it, it's a somewhat attractive job. And I don't think there's going to be any storage of candidates. I mean, you also got throwing Matt Rule in here, who's going to be a, a guy that a lot of people in the country are going to want to run their programs, considering what he did at Temple and at Baylor before he jumped to the NFL. So Auburn, there's no shortage of candidates, I think, for them, of guys that I think they could go after. But uh, going away from Auburn and getting back to the games, let's move on and talk about Georgia and Florida. Uh, We thought this one was going to be well in the hands of Georgia, and it was, although Florida did try to make it a little bit more interesting a little bit later on with uh, them scoring 17 points. In the, in the third quarter. But uh, Georgia held on. 142 to 20. And uh, are st- is still undefeated. 8 and 0. Florida falls to 4 and 4. 1 and 4 in the conference. As now they get ready for. This big time matchup this weekend. Between the hedges. So moving on. From that game. Oklahoma State at Kansas State. I went with Oklahoma State here. Didn't know if Adrian Martinez was going to play for Kansas State. And that was a huge reason why I went with Oklahoma State. Plus, Oklahoma State has been the better team than Kansas State. So, I just figured Oklahoma State's going to win this one. Nope. They get shut out in spectacular fashion by Kansas State. Who was without Adrian Martinez. With Will Howard... Leading the way for Kansas State, going 21 to 37, 296 yards, and four touchdowns. And then you get Deuce Vaughn looking like him, his old self, 22 carries, 158 yards, and a touchdown. Spencer Sanders did not have his best day for Oklahoma State. And you could pretty much say this game was over at halftime, it was 35 to 0 in favor of Kansas State. And yeah, Kansas State with a big win, six and two now, four and one in conference, and gives Oklahoma State their second loss, and that could be pretty big for the Big Twelve Championship down the road as to who's going to play each other. We imagine TCU is going to run the table, although they might have a loss depending on their schedule. So that's pretty big for the Big 12 implications down the road. But Kansas State shutting out Oklahoma State, I don't think anybody saw that coming. 
Next one up, Illinois at Nebraska. I don't think we can underestimate what Brent Bielema has done with this Illinois program here since he's taken over. And yeah, it was against Nebraska, but Nebraska has shown a little bit of spark here recently. Um, with this loss, this drops them down to 3-5, and five, but they had shown a little bit something here. They showed a little bit of fight. But uh, Illinois goes on the road with that big-time rushing game with Chase Brown, the nation's leading rusher. I think he's, I believe he still is. That's the last I heard. 32 carries, 149 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Tommy DeVito, Illinois' quarterback, 20-22, 179, and two touchdowns. Passing yards isn't crazy, but 20-22, that's pretty impressive. But uh, Illinois, they went 26-9, and they moved to 7-1. 4-1 in the conference. They are the big-time team out there in the Big Ten West. And uh looks like if things hold up, they might be on a collision course to play in the Big Ten championship game, which is really weird to say after what Illinois has gone through the last few seasons. Tennessee, Kentucky, You wondered if Kentucky was going to find a way to slow down Tennessee's offense. And Phil Levis, a guy that everybody's been heralding as a top 10 pick in next year's draft, he, if he was going to finally show up, get a little bit more healthy with the bye week in their favor. But it absolutely did not happen as Tennessee rolled Kentucky 44-6. to and Will Levis just had himself a horrible day. This Tennessee defense got in his face. Probably the best that defense has looked all season. I believe they allowed only like five or six total yards from Kentucky in the third quarter. And Kentucky only got over 200 yards on their last possession towards the end of the game. Will Levis, 16 to 27, 98 yards and three interceptions. So he did not look really all that well. Chris Rodriguez, he did have a touchdown, but Tennessee pretty much bottled him up on the day. As Tennessee keeps on rolling, Hidden Hooker keeps on looking impressive. 19 and 25, 245, and three touchdowns. Jalen Hyatt continues his spectacular run with two touchdown catches, breaking the single season Tennessee record for receivers catching touchdowns. And again, that sets up a collision course for Saturday in Athens now that both Georgia and Tennessee have taken care of business. Michigan State and Michigan. Michigan ended up winning this one, but the underlying thing that was with this game is obviously what happened in the tunnel between these two teams. And the thing with the tunnel so, this happened, of course, we saw a little bit of chippiness when Penn State came to town, when that happened. Weirdly enough, you've not seen a lot of these events happen in the tunnel there at Michigan. You would think it might happen a little bit more, that, you know. But strangely enough, it doesn't. But it happened on Saturday, and now you got eight Michigan State players 
suspended indefinitely, I believe. And, you know, Sparty's sitting at 3-5 and five now. You got to wonder a lot about what's going on with Mel Tucker, but I think the thing with both these programs right now is, like the tunnel thing, yes, probably need to change it up a little bit, but it hasn't been too much of an issue. But I think two things come to mind. One, you feel freaking awful for that Michigan player that had this happen to them. Like, you feel awful. And so, I don't know a lot more details about the player that was attacked there. So, But you feel awful for what happened. I think you feel awful for the players of both these programs. One, for Michigan, saying that happened to one of their teammates in their in their home stadium and that tunnel at, with their locker rooms close by you feel bad about that and for Michigan State i think if you, you got to feel bad if you're one of these players that wasn't involved in this and that you're that if you look at what's happening maybe is that there's a broad brush being painted that Michigan State is undisciplined Mel Tucker is not guys guys disciplined not doing a good job there. And that the culture there is not good and all that stuff. And so now that broad brush is being painted over to when it was just those pretty much eight guys and maybe even more. It, I don't know if there are more than eight. Might have been, but to everybody else that wasn't involved in that, that broad brush is being painted over the program. So we're like, hey, we weren't involved in this, right? Don't look at us. We weren't involved in any of this. But that broad brush is being painted. That no discipline, no culture, all that stuff. And you got law enforcement involved in all this stuff. And I think with that, you just let it take its course and see what happens. But uh, that's an unfortunate situation to happen in a game between two rivals. That's something... You definitely don't want to see. So moving on from that, last game, Ole Miss at Texas A&M. And Ole Miss, they get the win there at A&M. A&M drops to 3-5, and five, winning by 3. Uh, Connor Wegman did pretty good in his first start for A&M. Uh, threw for 3.38 and had himself four touchdowns. But uh, Ole Miss defense held up. The running game with Quinshawn Judkins continues to get better and better. And Ole Miss goes on the road and gets a good victory over an SEC West opponent. And now AM is sitting at 3-5 and five with a few more games left on the schedule that you wonder how many wins are, more wins are they going to get. They got to go at least 3-1 and one in November to have a shot at going to a bowl game. And looking at their schedule and who they got the rest of the way. So they got Florida this weekend. That It might be a win. At Auburn, that could be a win. UMass, I think you automatically put that one down as a win. So there's win number four right there. And they got LSU. 
it's at home. I think that helps you out if three of these last four games are at home. And there might be a little bit of a shot against Florida and Auburn. LSU, that's going to be tough, depending on what happens this week against Alabama. But man, for AM, for what's the expectations they were coming into the season with, they're probably not going to end up going bowling. And uh, I listen, Jimbo's buyout is insane. Probably won't get fired, but I mean, there's something that's got to be done here. So that is week number nine in the books. And let's talk about the playoffs real quick. With the first college football playoff rankings of the season, we no longer regard the AP poll anymore. That thing is trash. That's out of here. These are our real rankings for the rest of the ride here this season. So looking at these first rankings, let's go from 25 on up. From 20 to 25. At 25, you got UCF. 24, you got Texas. 23, Oregon State. 22, NC State. 21, Wake Forest. 20, Syracuse. At 19, you got Tulane, which... Props to Tulane for having a really good year and getting into these rankings. Oklahoma State at 18. North Carolina, 17. Illinois at 16. Penn State finding themselves at 15. Utah at 14. Kansas State, 13. UCLA, 12. Ole Miss, 11. LSU being the only team in the top 10 with two losses coming in there at number 10. USC at 9. Oregon, 8. And TCU at number seven. You heard that right. One of the only undefeated teams left in the country. Is it left out of the top six of the college football playoff rankings? So speaking of the six, let's dive on into it. Number six, Alabama. Number five, Michigan. Clemson at number four. Georgia at three. Ohio State at two. And I still can't believe this actually happened. Tennessee at number one. So looking at these rankings initially, of course, I think the big question is, again, going to TCU. What happened here? Why were they left out here? Has They have a good resume, have a lot of good wins. Offense looks really good. Defense looks really good. They're undefeated. So what's the issue? And you have to wonder if there's some sort of bias here with some of the with these teams in some of the past, with Alabama, Clemson, and uh, some of those teams that you know their brand, you know what they've done, you know how their coaches do. And the reason for TCU being ranked at seven was because, well, they've fallen behind in a few games. All that stuff, and like, I mean, you look, take a look at some of these other teams that are ranked ahead of them. They all fell behind in some other games this season. I do think you can throw in one thing, TCU. They have they haven't played a lot of the starting quarterbacks this year, but they use that first point as an argument for putting them at seven, 
in the whole brand bias thing, which is probably definitely a thing here if you think about it. It's just so crazy to have him at seven. If this was somebody like Texas or Oklahoma from the Big 12, where would they be ranked? They probably would be ranked at six right now instead of seven. They'd probably be ranked ahead of Alabama because it's Oklahoma or Texas. And TCU is sitting here at seven, eight and zero, being one of the only six undefeated teams left in the country. And they're left out the initial top six. Kind of crazy to think about. Uh, LSU being at number 10. Really kind of crazy. Probably overachieving here. Being ranked at 10. And being one of the only teams in this top 10 to have a loss at home. All these other losses in the top 10, they've been on the road. And so now you hear you have LSU, and your probably initial guess is that, you know, set up a top 10 matchup at Baton Rouge on Saturday night, which, yeah, I, I kind of get that. <laughs> uh, looking at the other parts of the rankings, Michigan at five. And in full honesty, I expected Michigan to probably be ahead of Clemson right here. Michigan even though despite their schedule not being as strong and not facing maybe as many ranked opponents as Clemson has, Michigan's got the more impressive win against Penn State. They dominate that thing, again, from start to finish. And their team looks like they are hitting on all cylinders on every aspect of the game right now. But Clemson's ahead of them. When I think if you... Stack up their resumes, and if you stack up the highlights, Michigan has looked way better than Clemson this year. I mean, Clemson might have a quarterback controversy on their hands now. With DJ Uyunglele, him being taken out of that Syracuse game, and Kate Klobnik, the five-star freshman coming in there. Despite what Dabo says, you do something like that, that's immediately going to start something. You're going to have people talking. So I think Michigan probably deserved to be ranked ahead of Clemson there, being ranked at four, and being in that initial top four. Now looking at the top four, Clemson at four, it's whatever. But I think you knew who the top three were going to be, just depending on which order they were going to be in. In Georgia... Coming in at three, I mean, they're the defending national champs. you got to give them some respect. They had, I mean, with the players they've lost, of course you're going to expect something to not be there for them all the way completely. But you got to give them their respect. So Georgia at three, they did get that impressive win over Oregon to start the season. And Oregon is firing on all cylinders, so that may help Georgia. Despite the rest of their schedule not having really any other decent teams on there. And uh, this this game against Tennessee is probably is their only big game left. They don't have to worry about anybody else the rest of the season. So they're there at three. Ohio State, 
again, despite the teams they played, that big win on the road at Penn State, that's big for them. They've looked like one of the best teams in the country all season long with that offense of theirs. Without Jackson Smith and the Jigba, who came in as probably their number one receiver. And then you got Tennessee at one. Who, if you look at resumes and base it off of that, they got the best resume. And yeah, so did they win that Alabama game by only three points? Yes. Did they only beat Pitt by a few points? Yes. Florida? Yes. However, they still won those games. And so, Pitt is a ranked win. Florida's a ranked win. LSU, even though they're ranked now, going to Baton Rouge and dismantling them the way they did, that's huge. Beating Alabama, probably the best win in the whole, well, in all the country right now in college football. They got that. Kentucky, ranked win. So, their resume stacks up up and the way they've been performing has been unbelievable this year too so if you're just basing it on resume I think they got these top three right although for me personally and this is probably gonna take some of y'all back for a minute I probably don't know if I would have wanted Tennessee number one I think I was rooting for them to end up being at two. You know, just put Ohio State three, put Georgia one, and, you know, all that stuff. And let's have one versus two, and don't give us number one right away because Georgia is not going to be happy about that. But listen, Georgia's building up that motivation just because they're not ranked number one. Well, then that's kind of a problem right there. To where now, in discussing some playoff scenarios, being number one really helps Tennessee out in the long run. Particularly if they lose this weekend against Georgia, that helps them out. That's fine. In the past, if you're ranked number one, you're ahead of the curve. And in the past, if you've been ranked number one, you've been pretty much solidly in the top four the rest of the way. The only team... that's been ranked number one that's kind of, that's dropped out was Mississippi State when they were ranked number one all those years ago and they dropped the four but then they lost a second game and that took them completely out of the top four so I think if you're Tennessee you even if you're lo- you lose this game still got South Carolina still got Mizzou still got Bandy yes two of those games are on the road but I they shouldn't have any reason to be concerned about those three teams, so I think they should be fine. And that brings a question, or that brings this obvious statement that I'm about to say. You might have three SEC teams in the top four. It definitely sets up a path for it to be that way. Now, again, you got a lot of other scenarios that you got to play out. What happens with Clemson? Do they stay undefeated? TCU, same thing. Does one of the Pac-12 teams make a jump up, like Oregon, USC? Does Alabama lose another game? But it does set up to where if Tennessee loses, you have Georgia and Bama in the SEC championship game. And let's just say 
for argument's sake, Alabama beats Georgia. All three of those teams have a loss. And then you got to make yourself some uh, a few arguments here. Well, Alabama gets in. They're the SEC champ. So there you go. And even if it's not three teams, you're going to have to argue between Tennessee and Georgia. It might go to Georgia if they win the head-to-head. But if it's three teams, again, it really depends on what happens with those other teams. You could then make the argument like, yeah, yeah, those other teams have won their conference championships. But Tennessee had the better resume out of all those teams. They're one-on-one against Alabama and Georgia. Let's put them in there and let's get them maybe a rubber match with Alabama. Or not a rubber match, a second matchup with Alabama. Or a second matchup with Georgia. But again, these are the first rankings. <laughs> There's a lot still to be played out. And uh, these first rankings, again, they even though some people might say nah, they're not important. They kind of are. Again, particularly if you're that number one team, that really helps you out a whole lot at the beginning of these rankings. So moving on from talking about these playoff rankings, let's talk about week number 10. And we got some really fun matchups. And we're starting off by going to Notre Dame. Clemson. Going to Notre Dame, taking on the Irish. And we talked about Notre Dame. They've been improving. Their running, their rushing attack has really been improving a lot. But they are going to play a Clemson defense that has a really good front seven. That is going to be keyed in on stopping the run. With Notre Dame having to really kind of break in a new quarterback all season long. So I got Clemson here. Wing this game, but going back to the whole quarterback controversy, is there one? There might be. If DJ does not perform well in this game, you're probably going to hear a lot of Clemson fans that are going to this game clamor for Klubinek to get in this game and help save them like he did against Syracuse. So that might better watch out. He might have some quarterback controversy on his hands here, but Clemson, I think. Ends up winning this game. Baylor, Oklahoma. I think this is not. I got a couple other Big 12 matchups on here. So this is the first one. I think this is the first of three. And it is Baylor at Oklahoma. Uh, Baylor, Oklahoma, not the teams we thought they were going to be coming into the season. Oklahoma sitting at five and three. Baylor sitting at five and three. Uh, looking at this game, if Oklahoma wins this game, they move to three and three in the conference. And with the loss here, Baylor would move to three and three in the conference as well. Oklahoma is only favored by three and a half here at home, and that's probably because they are playing this game at Oklahoma. I am going with the Sooners though. And I'm going to stick with the home team here. Although this could be a really big shootout. As, listen, the Big 12 title hunt is still on. I mean, yeah, TCU is probably going to be one of the teams in. But there's still a lot of football left to be played here. 
in November, and a lot can happen. But I'll go with Oklahoma here to beat Baylor. All right, next up, Tennessee at Georgia. Do I go against the team that has done so well this year and my favorite team? This game being at Georgia doesn't help matters. If it was at Nayland, I'd give them a lot of a better shot to go and win this game. For the Georgia aspect of it, um, probably the biggest game in, in Sanford Stadium history. Never been a matchup between two teams in the top three. So you got a little bit of history there in the making. With this Georgia team, they, they've lost a lot of those players that played in this matchup a year ago. If you kind of remember the matchup a year ago, yeah, Georgia ended up winning big time. Tennessee got the most points on them that anybody did in the regular season before they played Alabama in the SEC championship game and got hit hard in that game. Tennessee was the team that did the most against them. And if I remember this game right, they scored right away on Georgia. They took advantage of that, and they scored right away on their first possession. And if you remember, that team, that defense, has been lauded as being one of the best in recent memory. I mean, looking at the guys that were on that roster, on that defense, Trayvon Walker, former number, the number one pick, Jordan Davis, first-round pick, N'Kobe Dean, awesome linebacker, second-round pick, Second, third round pick. I forget which round. Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, De'Aaron Kendrick. You, you got a lot of people on this roster that are not there a year ago. So you got a lot of young guys on that Georgia defense. But that secondary is going to be key, I think, to shutting down this Tennessee offense, considering that defense, they only had 10 sacks on the season. Now what you would think out of a Georgia defense and Dolan Smith, their sack leader. Not playing in this game and he's done for the year. So that's a big difference there. And I think if you're going to have some success against this intensity offense, your secondary has got to play sound and you got to be able to affect Hooker and force him into some bad decisions, maybe cause cause some pressure to get to him really quickly early on. And usually when Tennessee does its damage, it's on first down. So if you do something on first down, knock them off their game, that could be big time. And as far as Tennessee is concerned, if that same defense shows up from Kentucky, if they found something and that can work, then maybe those questions about the defense are going to go away a little bit. And going and playing against Stetson Bennett and this offense, the Georgia rushing game isn't a usual Georgia rushing game. And Tennessee's good at stopping the run. The receiving core of Georgia, a lot of young guys there. Probably McClonkey's the guy you have to be worried about there. But you got to key in on the tight ends. Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington. If you can find some way to maybe contain them, and not let them get out in space and do some crazy stuff, then you're good. And with Setson, 
gotta be able to keep him in the pocket because he can make plays outside the pocket. Kind of like Bryce Young did. Although this guy is nothing comparable to Bryce Young. So with all that said, I am going to pick Georgia in this game. But if I had to mark this game red, I will not feel bad about it at all. So I'll go with Georgia here to beat Tennessee. And the spread, I think, has been going down. It's like 7 or 8 there. So I think Tennessee will cover, but Georgia's going to get a close one. Uh, Alabama at LSU. Alabama's running game has hit a wall since the Tennessee game, going all the way back to that. Against Mississippi State, they couldn't do a thing against them. And that running game has lost all the juice that it had before those two games. So now it's in a little bit of a rut here going against LSU at Baton Rouge at night. Alabama fans are not happy about that part. And I probably won the CBS game that Tennessee Georgia is getting. And they're facing a quarterback in Jane Daniels who is playing his best football right now of his career. And is really hitting on all cylinders. He's being able to be that dual threat guy that you would think he would be. Maybe Kayshawn Butte is starting to step a, a little bit more. Uh, Bama is favored on the road, and when they play Tennessee, we talked about their road stuff. That they aren't the same team on the road. And I think some of that will factor into here, but I do think they win. They are favored by about two touchdowns. And I do think that that LSU covers that even, you know, even against Alabama. That they'll lose by two touchdowns and Alabama will get the win here. Again, Alabama cannot have any more losses here. They cannot. Because if they do, they are probably done. They are done. And that could open up the door for LSU to maybe get into the SEC championship game. Or Ole Miss to get in the, into the championship game. Leaves the door open for a couple more SEC West teams. Whereas if Tennessee and Georgia, I mean, if if Georgia loses that one, they, they might lose their top four spot. They might lose it if they uh, if they end up losing. But uh, Alabama, I think, goes to Baton Rouge, and they win. LSU does cover the spread, which is about two touchdowns, but Bama wins. So moving on from that game, Oklahoma State at Kansas. Oklahoma State kind of reeling here after what's gone on with them. Of course, losing the Kansas State last week and being shut out. So they're looking to get back on the scoreboard here. And they're facing a Jayhawks team that is 5-3, has not done well recently after starting 5-0. and Oklahoma State is only favored by about one, one and a half. So I think that says a lot about where this Oklahoma State team is. It says a lot about that and where, what people think of Kansas as uh, with their team right now. 
But I am going to be safe here, and I am going to pick Oklahoma State and uh, roll with them and say they get back on track. Again, the Big 12, there's a lot to be settled there. Wake Forest at NC State, ranked matchup between ACC teams. Both have uh, kind of fallen off here recently, even though they are still ranked in the top 25. And, you know, NC State hasn't looked good here in the last, in the last couple weeks. Wake Forest hasn't either. And uh, this is a home game for NC State. But NC State, they, they still got to figure out who their quarterback is with no Devin Leary, with him being done for the year. So I am going to go with Wake Forest on this one and say they'll move to 7-2. and two. And, uh, you know, I think they got the better quarterback here. They got the better weapons here. So I'll go with the Wake Forest here. Moving on, another Big 12 matchup, Texas at Kansas State. Texas, kind of like Bama, doesn't do well on the road. And they are facing a Kansas State team that is going to be very tough to overcome with the momentum they got. And, and you know, you don't know who's playing quarterback for them. Will it be Adrian Martinez? Will he come back? Or will it be Will Howard, who is probably the better passing threat for Kansas State? So I'll take Kansas State on this one, but a lot depends on on how I think this going this game's going to play out, depending on who plays quarterback. But I'll go Kansas State here. Next one up, we got Arkansas facing Liberty. Speaking of Hugh Freeze, I'm curious about the line in this one. I, I think I'm going to pick Arkansas. But I want to see what the line is. I may end up changing my mind here once I once I end up seeing it. Let's see. What is the line for this one? Arkansas is favored by 14 points. So, yeah, I think I'll stick with Arkansas. But I do think it's Hugh Freeze, and his offenses are usually explosive, so I'm not going to put any doubt on that. And so I think he might make this game a little bit closer than it is. But I'll go with the Razorbacks here. Next game up, Florida at AM. We talked about this one maybe being a toss-up for AM as far as you know if they could win it. And I mean, if they win it, this could be a big one because then that UMass win looking like a sure victory. That gets you to five. That means you only just need one more between Auburn and LSU. And I'm curious about the line of this one, too. I think I am going to pick Florida. But let me find the line for this one and see what it is. I think early game. And I think... A&M is favored by three and a half, and that may be the home fan, home field advantage speaking uh, right there. You know what? Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to stick with Florida. I, I, I'm i going to stick with them. Again, for A&M, it's just going to be tough to find a way to win three of these last four games. 
I mean, if they lose two of these games, they are done. They are not going to be bowl eligible. And uh, I think losing this one doesn't help them. So, give me Florida. Auburn at Mississippi State. No, I get the feeling Mississippi State does pretty well at home. And this one's going to be a home game for them at night. Uh, facing a team that just fired their head coach. Now, again, Auburn might feel gal galvanized by this and decide they want to be a little bit frisky and decide to go beat Mississippi State at their place. But I think Mississippi State, they end up winning. They're about two touchdown favorites. So give me Mike Leach's offense and Will Rogers to beat Auburn in this one, which would get them their bowl eligibility. So again, Mississippi State. So that is college football. Let's talk about some NFL stuff and let's talk about the we'll talk no, let's talk hold off on the trade deadline and we'll talk about that in between uh our picks and going over them. So taking a look at what happened in a week number eight. Uh as far as picks go not good, so it's been far for the course for the NFL season. Ravens at Buccaneers. Thought the Buccaneers were going to bounce back in this one. Brady did have a good game throwing the ball 325 and touchdown. But, you know, the Ravens, they built that lead up in the third quarter, went up 17 to 10. And just did not relinquish it and end up winning this game 27 to 22. Lamar looking good throwing the ball. Isaiah likely doing some work on the receiving end for Baltimore. Mark Andrews got a little bit banged up in this game, so obviously you're concerned about him. And this Bucks team right now is reeling. They are three and five. Brady isn't looking like Brady. Shaquille Barrett is done for the year with an Achilles injury, so that's gonna hurt the defense big time right there. So the Bucks are in a hole. Uh, the Ravens, meanwhile, sitting at five and three and sitting atop the North, with uh, with the way things are going there. So, Ravens get the win. Then we got our London game: Broncos at Jaguars. Russ comes back for this one and leads the Broncos to victory in London, twenty-one to seventeen. Not too good of a day for both those quarterbacks with Russ and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, with Lawrence throwing for well under 150 yards, Russ throwing for over 250, but having an interception and Lawrence having two interceptions. ETN really kept Jacksonville in this game, running for 156 yards and a touchdown. But uh, Denver gets a win there. So I think they'll take the wins however they can, 21 to 17. So, I mean, hey, you win one at London. There you go. Dolphins at Lions. And, you know, Lions kept this one close. And the Lions, they have been somewhat fun, even though they are one and six, because they got some really fun pieces on that offense. Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, who's, even though he's been out when he's been playing, was really good. 
And uh, Jared Goff, 3 for 321. So, I mean, all you can ask for for him. But uh, Tua and this defense and this offense plays really well on Sunday. Tua, 29, 36, 382, and three touchdowns. Tyreek leading this league in receiving. It's not hard to see why. 12 catches, 188 yards for him. Waddle getting in on the action here as well. And Miami wins this one 31-27. It really solidified this win in the third quarter, putting up 14 points and not relinquishing the lead. So Miami gets a road win at Detroit. Next game up, I believe, was Vikings at Cardinals. So talking about this one, Vikings ended up getting the win here. But this was another close one. As a DeAndre Hopkins is really making getting himself back into the fold here. 12 catches, 159 yards, and a touchdown. A solid day for Justin Jefferson, even though he hasn't had a touchdown since week one. That's kind of concerning, especially for me having him on my fantasy team. Uh, Kirk does pretty solid. Dalvin Cook, 20 carries, 111 yards, and a touchdown. Helps them out right there. Cardinals tried to make a comeback in this game. But uh, Vikings are not letting it go. They get the win 34-26. to Move to 6-1 and one on the season. Right now, they are running away with the NFC North. As Lions are not looking good. Packers aren't looking good. Bears aren't looking good. So right now, they are the clear team in the NFC North. Patriots at Jets. Uh, Patriots have pretty much owned the Jets here recently, and that still happened on Sunday with the Patriots winning 22-17. to I think you wondered how much of Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi you were going to see, and we even talked about that, how much we would see of either quarterback. Mac Jones did play all this game, uh, did what he needed to do, Ramondre Stevenson did well catching and receiving, leading him, you know, catching and rushing rather, uh, leading the team in both those. Uh, Zach Wilson threw for over 350 yards. Uh, accuracy, probably the issue there, 20 of 41 and three interceptions. Uh, Garrett Wilson had a pretty good day for the Jets, but it was not enough. The Patriots defense came to play, forced three turnovers. And get the win, 22-17, and get the 500 at 4-4. Four and four. And uh, Jets, even though they are 5-3, and three, three of their losses are at home. So there's that game in the AFC East. Next one up, we got the Rams and 49ers. Big one in LA. With both these teams really kind of needing a win to get back on track. And San Francisco was the team that ended up doing it. On the part, because of Christian McCaffrey. And playing his first game against an NFC West opponent. Threw a touchdown, rushed for a touchdown, and caught a touchdown. As he did a little bit of everything for this 49ers offense. 
and getting them to win 31-14. 49ers defense doing their part and trading all that draft capital for McCaffrey. And this one, well worth it for San Fran. They move 4-4 four and four and the Rams move to 3-4 and four on the season. So moving on from the matchup there, the NFC West. Let's go to one of their fellow NFC West rivals and Seahawks facing against the Giants. Giants have done a pretty decent job of not turning the ball over. They did in this game in a crucial spot. It hurt them on a month punt. And got the Seahawks in really good position to go and take advantage of it. And Seahawks, they end up winning this game 27-13. to Hand the Giants their second loss of the season. Geno looking good. Kenneth Walker looking really good. Metcalf, Lockett, both catching a touchdown from Geno in this game. And Seahawks, they win 27-13. Really do their damage in the second half. Scoring 17 points with the Giants only scoring 6. And uh, held Saquon pretty much in check. About 53 yards. Then did allow a touchdown from him. But uh, nonetheless, Seahawks get the win there. And they're in really good position right now. On top of the NFC West. And then the Sunday night and Monday night games. Packers at Bills. Pick the Bills there to win this one pretty easily. Even though the Packers did show a little bit of fight there. Bills win 27-217. Uh, Green Bay did try to make it a game there late. But uh, Aaron Rodgers, just a so-so day for him. And a so-so day for Josh Allen to his standards through two interceptions to two touchdowns. And uh, got a little chippy between Stephon Diggs and Jair Alexander before and after the game. But the Bills, they get the win there, win that one at home. And then the Monday night game, kind of a surprise to everybody. Cleveland winning 32-13. to And this Cleveland defense really showing up in this one. And putting the Bengals at 4-4. Four and, four. and the Browns are only a few weeks away from getting the Sean Watson back. So there you go. Browns get the win there. And a shout out to that T. Higgins touchdown catch. When he mossed that dude. Helped me in fantasy. So special shout out to him. <laughs> uh, moving on. To talking about the trade deadline. A really active trade deadline. In the NFL. Uh, we're just going to kind of take a look at some of the more notable ones. Uh, that happened. Really. On the day of the trade deadline. And a couple days before. Uh, Colts trading Naheem Hines to the Bills for Zach Moss and a pick. This is going to be really big for the Bills. They've been looking for a running back that can catch out of the backfield. Hines fits that mold. And probably a much better way to go about it than spending the pick on James Cook. Not a lead at receiving, but Hines is pretty good at it. So they get an option there and really kind of help them out. And for the, I mean, for the Colts, I mean, with how things are going, Sam Ellinger at quarterback over Matt Ryan. And, I mean, he, he's sitting behind Jonathan Taylor, so what else are you going to do? 
Uh, Steelers, they made a couple of trades, and so we'll talk about them here. And one of the trades they made was getting Will Jackson from the Commanders, who's really kind of lost his way in Washington. And there's a lot of thought that Commanders would release Jackson if they couldn't find a trade for him. But Jackson, he is going to cost roughly about half of the money remaining in salary and per game roster bonuses. And he has missed some time. But he does give the Steelers a really solid option in that secondary. So that could really help them out later on. And for Washington, you get to get rid of him and figure out your secondary going from there. And then the other trade the Steelers made was trading Chase Claypool. You wondered if they were going to trade him, and that's what they did. Trade him to the Bears for the Bears' 2023 second-round pick. And Steelers won this trade flat out. You get a second-round pick for Claypool in a year where the Steelers are contending and where Claypool is not doing too hot. And so, now you, you got your guys and Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, to deal with, and a couple other receivers there. And Claypool's now another option for Justin Fields to be able to work with. As the Bears, they haven't looked awful. Fields hasn't looked awful. He's gotten better and better. So you give him another option. But for a second-round pick, I don't like it for the Bears. For the Steelers, you gotta love it. And even though they got those two guys, there's a chance I could use one of those picks on a wide receiver and find their next star right there. They're really good at drafting receivers. So they end up winning that trade. Uh, for the Bears, they made a, another trade. And this trade was for Raquan Smith. After, you know, Trey Robert Quinn here, they've been busy. And so they trade him to the Ravens. They get A.J. Klein, a 2023 second rounder, and a 2023 fifth rounder going back to them. And Rokon Smith really helps this Ravens defense out. And you get one of the best linebackers in, in the league to add to that defense, great. But he is an off-ball linebacker, so what the Bears end up getting for him, that's really good for them too. And getting some draft capital to kind of help the situation going on in in Chicago. So there's that trade. And the other trade that happened in the NFC North that was kind of big was an in-division trade. Of course, we talked about in-division trades a lot of times here on the pod, whether we like them or whether we don't. But we had one here. With the Lions trading TJ Hawkinson, 2023 fourth rounder, and a 24 conditional fourth rounder to, that's that's what the Vikings end up getting. And the Lions, they get a 2023 second round pick and a 2024 third round pick. So the Lions get some more draft capital to go with the uh, draft capital they already got. For the Vikings, this is a move that they make 
thinking they are contenders. Being at six and one, even though there there is some concern about how legitimate they are, they are six and one. And right now, it looks like they could run away with the NFC North. And now you add a solid tight end who hasn't flashed his full potential, but you add him to this offense where you got Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson. And so now you got a lot of stuff there for the Vikings that you really like with Irv Smith looking like he's going to be out for a few weeks. So Vikings make a really good move. And the Lions, they know they are contenders. And even though Hawkinson is a young player who could help them, they're about to start paying him big-time money. So you trade him, get some more draft capital. And yeah, you do trade him to a division rival. But I think the draft capital at the end of the day is probably why they did that. And listen, the Lions, they do have some solid foundations there for their receiving group and Amon Rossi Brown and Jameson Williams. So listen, for the Lions, you love it. For the Vikings, I think you got to love it too. Uh, Kadarius Tony goes to the Chiefs, so really explosive player goes there. What a shock. <laughs> and looking at some of the other trades, Bradley Chubb, the other big trade. Going to the Miami Dolphins with Denver getting the 49ers 2023 first round pick that Miami got from them. The Dolphins 2024 fourth round pick. And Chase Edmonds. So, this trade, I think, helps both these teams. For the Dolphins, you got yourself a really good pass rush here. The question for Chubb is his health. If he can stay healthy, then you got a good pass rusher. Uh, he's had a really good season so far. Has five and a half sacks in eight games. And adding him to this Dolphins team that... Listen, you're in division with the Bills, with the Patriots, and with the Jets. It's been a really competitive division so far. So getting somebody like him can really help the Dolphins in the long run. And so now you add him to that defense. They get him signed to a long-term deal, so you don't have to worry about that. For the Broncos, right now they are not looking like contenders at all. And you're about to start paying Chubb. So you might as well get some draft capital back from them. They get a first-round pick in this deal. And they also get Chase Edmonds, who is going to be big for them, considering in their running back room. Again, no Javante Williams. Melvin Gordon hasn't been himself. So you get him in there. And plus, I think if you're the Broncos, you like the young pass rushers you have with Randy Gregory. you got Baron Browning and Nick Benito. So you like what you have there. I think that it's all the other trades. I mean, you got Calvin really going to the Jaguars, even though he's not playing the, the whole season at all. So Jaguars win this trade pretty easily, along with the Falcons for getting draft capital for a guy that isn't playing. So uh, there's that. And the Broncos, going back to them, they did get Jacob Martin. So there's another pass rusher. To act for them. Uh, some guys surprising that weren't traded. Brian Burns from the Panthers. DJ Moore. Brandon Cooks. There's something going on there. 
So, a lot of a really active NFL trade deadline going on in the NFL this week. So, going on to the games, let's talk about week number nine. And we kick off week number nine at Houston with the Eagles going to Houston to play the Texans. Jalen Hurts going back home. I'm expecting a big day from him and going back home. So I am going to take the Eagles. They've been the best team in the league all season long. And they stay undefeated after tonight. Chargers at Falcons. You had a few teams on a bye week this week. So got an enticing schedule with uh, Cleveland, Dallas, Denver, Giant, the Giants, Pittsburgh, and San Francisco all on a bye but uh, we got this one. So Chargers going to Atlanta this weekend with uh, the Falcons being a solid 4-4. Four four. Don't know how that's happened, but it has happened. Uh, I feel good about taking the Chargers here on the road, even though they do have some injuries. And they haven't been the team a lot of people thought they were going to be. I can say a lot about those teams in the AFC West. But I will take the Chargers here. To win this one. Packers at Lions. With the Packers kind of reeling here at 3-5. and five, Facing a Lions team. Who again has had some exciting moments. But is 1-6 on the season. Just traded Hawkinson. I do think Rodgers and the Packers find a way to, to beat the Lions. And get a win on the board here. And... Move to four and five. So give me the Packers here. Patriots playing the Colts at Foxborough. Uh, I do wonder if there's going to be any zappy chance if Matt Jones doesn't do well in this game. Probably so. I do feel good about taking New England here. I don't, you know, even though Matt Ryan hasn't done well, at least I thought he would give. The Colts somewhat of a shot. Even though, even though the Colts were in the game last weekend against Washington. And uh, it was a really low scoring game and really close game. I like the Patriots here to win this one at home. They are five and a half point favorites. So around there. So give me the home team here and I'll roll with New England. Bills at Jets, kind of an interesting one. With the, it, you know, the Jets can make some noise here. This could be really big time for them, especially with the young guys they got for the division race. But we did talk about them not having a good home record. And that's, I think, probably going to be a thing that does them right there. And Zach Wilson, I think, is going to probably be forced into making some throws he doesn't want to make. Probably the Bills defense. Probably going to throw a couple interceptions. I'll take the Bills here. Then win this one on the road. Vikings at Commanders. Vikings showing off their shiny new toy in Hawkinson this weekend. Going to Washington. Washington, they've been fighting, and they might be getting Chase Young back here pretty soon. Uh, I don't know if he's going to play this week or maybe a while. Vikings are only favored by three. 
you know, I could honestly see the Commanders giving the Vikings a tough time with this one. I could see the Commanders winning this game. I will take the Vikings. But, I mean, there's something about the Commanders with Taylor Heineke under quarterback here recently. I don't know. There's something There's something about it. Uh, but I'll go with the Vikings here. Play it safe. Seahawks at Cardinals. NFC West matchup here. And this could be a really close one as well with, uh, with this being a division game. Really not a whole lot of, you know, looking at the schedule here, not a whole lot of late games here. A lot of these games are in the early window. You only got two games later on for the Sunday night game. So Seattle, I think they go on the road to Arizona. And I think they win this one. I really like what they got going. Uh, they're five and three right now, even though this is a home game for Arizona and their favor. I'm going to go with the road team here and uh, I'll stick with the Seahawks here. This will probably end up being a game I get wrong. But, you know, screw it. I'll go with the Seahawks. Uh, Rams at Buccaneers, the other late game in the late game window. Uh, both these teams, they need this one bad. Who would have thought that you would have said this about this matchup? You probably would have thought both teams well over 500, not needing this win really badly. But here they are in week number nine with the Rams at three and four and the Bucks at three and five. And both of them desperately need this win. And if the Rams don't win, they fall to three and five. And if the Bucks don't win, they fall to three and six. And that really kind of throws what's going on in the AFC South into chaos. I mean, would the Falcons have the best record or would it be the Saints? I don't know, but man, um, I think I'm going to go with the road team here. I think I'm going to go with the Rams. You know, not having Shaq Barrett's really going to hurt the Bucks in that pass rush, and so you got some young guys that are going to need to step up. I don't know if they can do it. Maybe that Rams defense pressures Brady a little bit more than that Bucks defense pressures Stafford. And uh, Cooper Cup is going to play in this game, so that's big time for them. But uh, give me the Rams here. Pines at Chiefs, Sunday night game. I Forgot this game was going to be a Sunday night game for the Titans, so I'm going to have to wait all day for this one. So, lucky me. Uh, don't know who's going to be playing quarterback for the Titans, if it's going to be Tannehill or if it's going to be Malik Willis handing it off to Derrick Henry about 50 times in this game. <laughs> so, uh, if it's Willis, you can expect a heavy dose of Derrick Henry. I don't think he's going to have the game he had against the Texans. Just something about playing the Texans that brings out how elite he is and puts up over over 200 yards against them every game. Uh, but, you know, the Chiefs, even though when they played the Titans under Andy Reid, record under 500. So that is something to take note of. So if the Titans want to find a way to win this game at Arrowhead, they are going to have to lean on Derrick Henry and that defense. It's really starting to look good. And rounding into form. 
But I do have the Chiefs winning this game. Uh, you know, especially if it's Malik Willis behind center. You know, I'd take Ryan Tannehill at 80%. But, you know, with him being at 80% and the way the offensive line is performing, might not be a good thing for him. Uh, but give me the Chiefs here. Uh, Ravens at Saints. Speaking of the Saints, uh, home game for them on Monday night against the Ravens team at 5-3, and three, getting Roquan Smith on their defense. And the Ravens right now, they are favored in this one. Small favorites, but they are favored. Uh, Rashad Bateman still going to be out for a while. Hope Calais Campbell and Mark Andrews are good for the Ravens. I do think if the Ravens win this one, it will be because of that defense. And maybe Roquan Smith makes a play or two. So I will take the Ravens. My Ravens not making the playoff predictions, not getting any better by the week. Somewhere Matt is laughing about that. Uh, so I'll take the Ravens here. So that'll do it for the NFL, and that'll do it for this week's pod, everybody. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, we're in for a fun treat with all the World Series stuff, college football stuff, and NFL stuff going on this weekend. So it's going to be a really fun weekend. So that in mind have a good rest of your thursday have a good weekend enjoying all this stuff be sure to go check out the pod wherever you guys get your podcasts subscribe to us give us a rating review follow us on twitter 573 pods follow the entertainment channel as well that'll do for me here everybody thank you all for tuning in have a good rest of your day we'll talk to you all next time